Shall we come to the Lord in prayer, even as we consider His Word as read to us by Cynthia, and uh, what we're going to uh, meditate together? We pray, O Lord, that the word of my mouth and the meditation of all our heart will be acceptable to you, O Lord. We pray that the Holy Spirit will take what is yours and give to us. We pray that you will continue to work in our life, in our heart, through your word, through the ministry of your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will take that we have heard and con- and we consider it deeply in our heart and bring us down to our knees. We pray that your Holy Spirit will take your words and comfort us, dear Lord, too, because this is a tough world and we need your comfort. We pray for this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. <coughs> Now, uh, as Cynthia have, Cynthia, you have such a clear voice and reading, and I already were already ministered when the words are read, read to us. I think as the words are read to us, just considering what is read to us, even before the sermon, many times the ministry of the Holy Spirit will take what is read to us and already minister to our heart. So it is definitely good to have very nice, clear reading and for us to consider what's read. Now, Acts chapter 4, uh, I think Cynthia read from verse 8 onward. Uh, it's it's alright. But the thing is, to put it in context, we should actually look far bigger picture than that. And therefore... It should actually begin this this episode this this episode of uh, the 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 words which we have read to is actually covering from chapter three uh, to actually chapter four verse thirty one. But we are not going to read all that. But keep your Bible there. Keep your Bible there. Now I I found the Bible actually this portion of the scripture to be a, a genius of a literature, a genius of a literature. We can take this part. It's a narrative. It, it Luke wrote, wrote a story, uh, not a story, an account of what have gone through to Peter and John after they healed the man who was lame for forty years since birth to the time when we read they are actually at the, when they are put on trial. Now, if you were to read that passage, there's a lot of things which come to us. And we could actually squirrel hole and find there's so many lessons we can learn. We can look at the character of Peter and John and see how they progress through there. We can take one, one subject there, the resurrection, and really see how important is it there. Or Jesus as the cornerstone and really meditate on it. We can draw parallel between uh, the, the, the character of Peter and John and draw parallel to the, 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 the rulers the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, and then find an interesting uh, crossover parallel. We can do a lot of things. Therefore, preparing this sermon, as I was telling the, my my fellow elder, I say I've been 
finding a hundred different messages and not sure which one to come to. We will start with one anyway. Now, my father introduced me to Shakespeare. Shakespeare. And I love Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. Now, in this part of the trial, I do see the Merchant of Venice and Hamlet. In the story of Merchant of Venice, the person's child was put on trial, uh, put, put, uh, put somebody on trial, I forgot what's the name really. But he was finally being the one who is actually found guilty. And in Hamlet, instead of watching a play, which is uh, what they call put up by uh, Hamlet, Claudius and Gertrude, his, his mother and his stepfather, became the spotlight. And they were the focus of what the story is about. So there is a change, a role change of play. A role change of play. And here, in Act chapter 4, I'm going to drill a bit bigger, uh, what they call portion. I say a trial turned upside down. A trial which is turned upside down. Now we know that during this time, Act 4, Peter and John was taken up and put on trial by the Sanhedrin. Okay? They were put on trial by the Sanhedrin. Now, who are the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin, you have the greater Sanhedrin and the lesser Sanhedrin. They are the Jewish religious rulers. They are the Jewish religious rulers. The elders and Jewish religious rulers. The trial of Peter and John and the accusers were the Sanhedrin. And the charge, it's a bit small, right? I think you can see it. The charge on them was that Peter and John may be, it may be that they were without license to speak, to teach on behalf of God, for God, for the nation of Israel. That was what they are doing. They were, after the, the healing, they were teaching. And the Sanhedrin, the seducers took them up and say, you know, this is probably, I think that was what they were charged on. They do not have authority. They were just simple people. So that was their charge. And the challenge was, who were the, who were the legitimate representative of God to the nation of Israel? And that's the question. Who were the legitimate representative of God to the nation of Israel? And next, what was God saying to the nation of Israel? Are their message, are their message from God? So I put it as a trial turned upside down where the accuser became the accused and being found guilty. And the accusers were the Sanhedrin. The accusers were the Sanhedrin, and Peter and John were the accused. So in that, I found that these are the three things I found. They lost their professional credibility. They lost their professional credibility. They did not have the support 
from the franchisee, which is God. They're supposed to bring God. They lost the support from God. And next, they were just faking it. They were just faking it. And if they continue in their position as religious leader, they would they were exposed in their malpractice as spiritually bankrupt. So how do I actually support this? How did they lose it? Their professional credibility as religious leader. Over here it says that it was the Sadducees who actually pounded on Peter and John. That's verse 1, chapter 4. And they take them to the Sanhedrin, the rulers and the scribes, who among them are the Sadducees. They seem to be able to actually be in that part of the Sanhedrin. Now, who are the Sanhedrin? What are the beliefs they have? Principally, they do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Not that they do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus per se. They do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, when you go to a religious people, even any religion, the big question is, what happened after we die? And if you do not have the answer of what happened after we die, it is no use. Correct? If a religious institution do not have a, 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 an answer, or do not try to have an answer of what happened after death, then there's no use. There's no use. And the Sadducees actually say there's no, there's no life after death. There's no resurrection of the dead. So why are they there in the first place? What can they give to the people who come to them? And you may think that it sounds ridiculous that you set a, a, you set a religious belief without having that kind of transcendence to the answer you have of life after death. I have told you before, when at one, one of my trips on a cruise ship, I came across a Jewish cantor. Now, a Jewish cantor is a religious, uh, like what Pat was doing, he led the singing of the Jewish worship, a religious cantor. And he actually publicly were, was, uh, what do you call, giving a talk on what Jewish religion is. And of course, you know, I was just rubbing my finger and said, okay, I want to, get, I want to know what he, what he, he feels about the Messiah's and all. So uh, I did have a discussion with him. It came to a point, sitting on with lunch with him, he asked me, you know, I said, isn't the Messiah a promise with God have and, and this is what God did? And he told me, look here. We agree that the Old Testament, on the Old Testament uh, uh, scripture, he said the Old Testament scripture is the way of a record of how the Jewish nation, Israel, history is about. It is a record. And it is a record written in the way 
that antiquated the people of old right. And when they write such thing, they ascribe deity to what is happening. He asked me, do you really believe, he asked me, okay, do you actually believe that Moses crossed the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea? Uh, yeah. And he looked shocked. Do you really believe that there is ten plagues which took him out? I said, yeah. He looked shocked. How stupid are you, he told me. He said, this is how they write in the old. Then I say, do you believe there's God? Oh, wow, there's something divine. That's, uh, I think it is in existence. We can have a, a belief with no transient. And he is a professional, cantor. And on one of the pot, we, 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 we embark on and then he, when he, he came out, he was so happy. He said, you know, I went to the synagogue and I have prayed and I sang song and I'm still lifted up. I just can't understand. So, when these rulers do not believe a transcendence to what their belief is about life after death, I believe they lost their professional credibility. You don't have to go to them at all. They, not that they don't have an answer. Their answer is that you don't have a future. In fact, I believe that in Israel now, atheism is one of the biggest beliefs among the Jews. Among the Jews. Imagine, they were the first to get this. They were first to get the scripture for God. So, first, they lost their professional credibility because the acid test on, the on their disbelief is the resurrection. If you don't believe that there's life after death, you don't have a credibility to tell me about religion. So, that's the first thing. Next, they lost the backing of the franchisee, God. They couldn't, now, they couldn't understand how this man who is 40 years in the temple being lame from birth, it, they would not deny, they would not deny that this guy was lame. Because 40 years he was in the temple there, or, or most part of the 40 years there, begging and may have caused them a lot of anguish. It was probably a sight they do not, they see every, every time they go to the temple, but it's something which sort of, they know. It hurt the conscience or whatever. So they could not deny that he was lame, and now he can walk. If you think of a person who haven't walked for, say, 10 years, you can think of his leg all shriveled up and all that. And to take the first step, I think that would be amazing. But for 40 years, and not knowing how to walk. And I like the song from Sunday School. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. That is what happened. And they cannot deny that. 
They don't have that, but Peter and John have that. They lost God's franchise, but Peter and John had that. So they lost it. They were powerless and clueless. They were powerless and clueless. And finally, the truth of their purpose. What is their purpose? Why are they? What is their belief? What's the truth of their belief? And they were challenged. They were challenged by Peter and John on Acts 19 to 22. When Peter and John say, Who shall we obey? Should we obey God or man? Should we obey God or man? Just a simple question. But they didn't answer. They didn't answer. Peter, they say, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have heard, seen and heard. And then verse 21 says, And when they have further threatened, now they didn't answer the question. They didn't answer the question. And they threatened and let them go and find no way to punish them. That is a big question for them. Who is your boss? You say you are the religious leader of, uh, of, uh, of the kingdom of Israel. This is what you have to answer. This is what you answer. Now, engage us on this. Engage us on this. And they just dismiss it. So in that sense, looking at the, the, the Sanhedrin, who do not believe in the transcendence of what they do, the resurrection. They do not have power, authority in what they practice to, to, to minister to the people. And they don't even know who to obey. Maybe they know, obey themselves. So they have lost the license, although they are sitting up there to be God's representative for the nation of Israel. So, instead of Peter and John put on trial, I see actually they are the ones who are put on trial and to be found to be bankrupt. To be bankrupt. So, I asked myself that, uh, alright, let, let's look at myself. I think it's only appropriate that at times, after reading God's word, is to say, Okay, what about me? What about me? How do I stand in such trial if the same criteria are asked upon me? In believing in the resurrection, sorry, in believing the resurrections, what, what, can I go back? Okay, in believing the resurrection, how does it affect my thinking and my life? In my thinking and that, that's the first question. Then, in the power I rely on, what power do I rely on in my hope, in my prayer, in my preparing, in my hoping that whatever I do here have some meaning in your life? What power do I rely on? Who do I rely on? 
And in my obedience, which master do I obey? Which master do I? So these are the questions I apply to myself. Maybe I just in, just uh, deal it on one of them only. And that is the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Now, dying is a prospect all of us actually have to face. And this is a good subject for you to bring to your doctor. I was with my doctor uh, a week and a half ago for my for my flu and my uh, for my flu jab, and he's a bit of chatty guy. So the conversation went on, and I, I I narrowed down, and I said, "Look here, doctor. You know, we talk about meaning of we talk of life and all." I said, "You know, doctor, in your profession, you have to." counsel people, the conversation always comes to life and death, isn't it? Yeah, it comes out. <clears throat> so I said, so what do you answer? When your patient comes and asks you, you know, I'm dying. He said, yeah, yeah, a lot of patients die. My, a lot of my patients die. And, and, and I haven't seen a, a doctor is successful yet in that sense. I said, so what's your answer? He said, oh, everybody dies, isn't it? But what is your answer? What do you tell them? What hope you have? So, it does, it did begin a conversation and it did sort of help me, but I haven't gone to the, I will go and see him again, but I ha- haven't gone to the stage where, you know, just to put a question in the mind that, yeah, although you actually see death and all that every day, do not be hardened and feel a loss. There must. I told him there must be an answer. So I asked him, you know, a patient may ask you that, and you don't have answer. What if your son asks you that? What if your son asks you, what happened to me after I die? So I left it at that. So it is not appropriate. For the doctor to share the gospel to, to you. But there's no, 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 no laws saying that you cannot ask the doctor question and tell you what you believe. So go and talk to your doctor. But anyway, the resurrection of the death, it actually, when we need it, it gives us hope of heaven. Hope of seeing Christ. So of something good. Out of this world, which is cold at times and depressing at most, but there's so much good too. But we long, like Ecclesiastes say, the best we can do in our earth, our heart long for something eternity. So this is why we come and worship. This is why we read God's word. This is why we get ministered when we read God's word. This is why we can go through the toughest day of our life. Because there's hope of heaven. And we can bring this hope to people who have known hope. Non-hope. Isn't good. But the prospect of the the resurrection of the dead is also the dread of God's judgment. Every time people will say that, you know, you just were wishing for heaven, 
but hell. The prospect of going to hell, to be judged by God, Romans 6.23 say, just as it's appointed for all of us to die, and after that, judgment. And judgment with the result that you will, the thing will affect you for eternity. Eternity. Now, I really get really annoyed if I were to be in the airport, in the waiting room, and the plane is delayed for six hours. And when it goes to eight hours, I will be really, really screaming. Won't you? But hell or heaven is about eternity. And Jesus put it, it may be in a way to help us understand a place where there's no stop in the burning. It may help us to understand it through our own way of understanding things. That it is going to be a terrible place. We would not appreciate it even for one second to be there. But it is a future for the resurrected who are not in Christ to spend the whole eternity in that state. Some, some, some people think that, uh, were saying that <coughs> to share the gospel is just my enthusiasm. It's not enthusiasm. It's not enthusiasm. It's just the fear of seeing my loved one, people I know, having that future. Future. We are all alright if we are known the Lord. We are stepped on the right place of Assurance of salvation and God's goodness is there. Just extend your heart to know that, that those who are out and they will be spending eternity in that state. So, I'll just leave you at that. I want you to spend time now. If there are family members in your in your in 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 in, in your household or a distant household, you want to pray for that God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel. Now we cannot actually convince anybody to become a Christian. I don't believe we can. But 
pray that we can share with clarity what the gospel says. So they understand with clarity. Now, this is, I I have shared with you about my mother. Not just because my brother is here, so I have to share a lot of family things. But this is important for me about sharing the gospel. My mother is illiterate as regard to English. She don't understand English. But because she's married to my father, they go to Anglican church, and she had heard many, many sermons, perhaps in English. Perhaps it's gibberish to her. Gibberish to her. Because nobody probably, to me, nobody probably explained to her the gospel in, 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 in Mandarin or in, in, in Chinese where she understood. So I always have this burden and say, do she actually really understand the gospel? So I was praying to the Lord, you know, give me an opportunity so that at least I want to be clear that she do understand. Her choice is hers. But at least I want to take the gospel over. That she understood it and then she have a fat, fat income way of making the choice. So in one Bible study with my son leading the Bible study and I doing the translation in the morning quiet time, I, when my son was telling about forgiveness of sin and I couldn't find the right Chinese word to actually explain that. Struggling and struggling and then she turned to me and said, this is what it meant. Bang! I said, she understood. And that's all what I asked for, God. And therefore, she have to deal with her. You understand what I mean? Pray, pray, pray that you could take this to your children. That they are clear. They are given a fair chance. Decision is there. They are given a fair chance to obey the Lord. To accept the salvation of Jesus Christ. So I start spend a short moment just to pray for people or your distant relatives or your friends whom you actually appreciate that they should know the Lord. I'll just close it after we have a little bit of time of self-prayer. Think of them by names. Father, we thank you for such a great promise through Jesus Christ. A promise that gives us hope in the resurrection. We thank you that we are people of hope. We thank you that death will never destroy us. In fact, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. To look for it. 
and to look for the time where, dear Lord God, we can be fully restored in your presence, fully enjoy your presence, being freed from our sinfulness. Oh, we long for that. We pray that our heart will be burdened for those who could not. If it be their if it be their stronghold in their life that that stop them to trust in you, we pray that you break down the stronghold. We do not know what is it. It could be their habit, alcoholism, or whatever. And you know that the stronghold is also built by the evil one. We pray that against the stronghold in their life, we pray you break that down so that the gospel will be preached in clarity to their heart. We pray for this. Oh Lord, we know that the decision is just to make, but we do pray, dear Lord God, that you give. We pray that the Holy Spirit will give a very heavy load on them that they will actually be able to see Their need in you and to bow their knees to you. Oh Lord, we pray for our families and our loved ones. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.